You know, I came across a story this week that, that was very interesting. Um, it was about this woman in her 90s had gone to the pharmacy to pick up some medicine for her daughter who was very, very sick. Uh, and so this woman in her 90s drove to the pharmacy to pick up the meds that her daughter needed because she was so sick. And the woman got out of the car, walked into the pharmacy, got the meds, walked back out, and then realized as she went to pull the handle, she had locked her keys in the car. And uh, her daughter being so sick, her husband was no longer with her, uh, there was no way for her to get keys to get in the car. And so what she did in that moment, great woman of faith, she got down on her knees in the parking lot of the pharmacy and began to pray, God, send me some help. Right as she said amen, this loud rumble uh, uh, comes into the parking lot and she looks up. It's this big old motorcycle. Guy's there and he's dressed like a biker, um, big old long beard and tats everywhere and he gets off his bike and the woman stands up. Her only conclusion was she just prayed for help. Here's somebody. And so this woman in her 90s stands up and says, hey, can you help me? I, I, I can't get in my car. You know, I, she says, actually, there's, there's an old, you know, rusty coat hanger here, and I don't know how to do that kind of a deal. Can, can, can you try to figure this out? And that man says, oh, yes, ma'am. And so he comes over there, and he gets that coat hanger, and he pops the door in about three seconds. And she hugs his neck, says, thank you, thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you for sending me such a sweet and honorable man. And the man kind of pushes her back for a second. He says, no, I'm not that sweet, ma'am. Um, he says, actually, I, I, I just got out of prison today, uh, and the main charge against me was for stealing cars, and the woman just lost it, and she hugged his neck again. Thank you, Jesus, for helping me and sending me a professional. <laughs> we sometimes pray as a last resort, and in reality, we ought to pray at every opportunity. Because we never know what Jesus can send. We never know who he will send. And what he sends in response to our prayers may not be in the exact shape and size and, and perception that we have. But he's going to send what we need at just the right moment in his time. You know, some people would say that a prayer prayed is the best kind of prayer. But what exactly does scripture tell us about Prayer, as we begin a new series today on prayer. Well, we're told, we're told in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, to pray at all times. That means always, at every opportunity, at every moment, no matter the circumstance, no matter if things are going great, no matter if the bottom's falling out and we've hit, we've hit the rock bottom. It, it, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, pray at all times. And then he says again in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing without ever stopping, never hang up the phone, always be praying. It's as though Paul is giving us a glimpse at his own prayer life in that instruction. He says, never stop, always let prayer flow from you. So then prayer, according to scripture, would seem to be a fairly high priority. But what exactly is it supposed to look like? And that's what we're going to take a look at today in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, it's on page uh, 811 if you're going to use a Bible on the pew rack, which you're welcome to take with you if you don't have a Bible. Take that Bible with you. Uh, everybody should have one. 
Um, but you can have that one from us, a gift. Uh, it'll also be on the screens, too. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. This is right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And now, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon we have from Jesus, the uh, strict teaching uh, on various subjects from Jesus. And the way Matthew presents it is Jesus went up on the side of this hill, gathered his disciples around him, and then thousands of other people gathered around, and he just began to teach on a variety of subjects. Now, he began to teach on being salt and light. He taught on divorce. He taught on anger. He taught on uh, 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 retaliating. He taught on loving your enemies. Uh, he taught up laying up your treasures in heaven. He taught on anxiety. He taught on fasting. And what we're going to look at today is a teaching he gives on prayer and how important that is. So look in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 5. Jesus said, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So he says, when you pray, now notice right off the bat, it's an assumption you will be praying. He's not saying if you pray, on occasion when you pray, at mealtimes when you pray. The idea behind that word is you're going to be praying in every part of your life. So when you do don't do it like this, like hypocrites. He says, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. You see, there were several times a day, throughout the day as a Jew, they would be, and they were, you know, not required, but very strongly uh, uh, told that they should be praying in these specific times of day, and they all would. Uh, and so what would happen here is, is the people who wanted you to think they were extra godly, would make sure they were in a, in a place where they could be seen by a lot of people, like on the street corner. That time of day would happen, they would be there, and they would just shut their eyes and start praying with the, the biggest words they can think of, you know, the $3 words, the SAT words, maybe three, that's what we used to say when I was little, $3 words, maybe now it's more like $15 words, I don't know, it's inflation and whatnot. But they, they would pray with these big old words and make people think they're, they're extra godly because they're praying in this way and, and saying all this stuff. And they would be out there so everybody could see them and everybody could hear them. And Jesus is saying, people who pray like that aren't praying to be noticed and get God's attention. People who pray like that are trying to get people's attention. And so because that's what they're praying for, that's their reward when people give them attention and not getting God's attention. Jesus is saying it's, it's not about how you pray. It's not about the, how fancy the words are you use. It's about where your heart is. It's about where your heart's aimed. I mean, it, it's what God said all the way back in Samuel. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Where's your heart aimed when you pray? And so what Jesus is telling this, this massive throng of people, don't be like those guys, those hypocrites. And now when he says hypocrites, this specifically, he's talking about the Pharisees, like the religious leaders of the day. That's what they would do. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. You don't need to be out there doing that. You just pray to God. And so he says in verse, now I do, before I go on, I do want to say, he's not saying don't ever pray publicly. He, that's not what he's saying. I mean, Jesus prayed publicly uh, frequently. He's saying, whenever you pray, whether privately or publicly, know where your heart is. Have your heart aimed at Jesus, because that's what matters. Have your heart aimed at Jesus. Look at verse 6. He says, when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So pray to God. Pray specifically to God as you would in private. Don't let your public prayers be different than your private prayers. And even in your private prayers, it needs to just be you and God offering genuine prayer, conversation with the Father. Look at verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So he says, when you pray. So he says that phrase again, when you pray. Assumption you will be praying. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now Jesus here isn't talking racially in verse 7. The way they would use that word Gentiles isn't just necessarily mean people who are non-Jews. It would mean people who don't believe is the way it was most often used. So he's saying don't pray like people who don't believe. Who pray, when they pray to their fake gods, they offer up empty words, words that are worthless, words that have no backing behind it, words they just offer repeatedly without any meaning. You know, that brings to mind what Jesus, or, or what the Lord said in uh, Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 29, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They said, I don't offer a prayer that your heart's not in, that your heart's not behind, that your faith isn't with. Mean what you say. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever prayed something that you didn't really mean what you were saying? Like, there wasn't a lot of faith behind it, or, or you were just, <laughs> maybe none of y'all do this, okay, but other people, other people do this. Try to find the right combination of words to convince God to give you what you want in your praying. None of y'all do, have ever done that. I've never done that. I have too, Lynette. Come on. It's, it's as though we're trying to think, okay, that, those words that I did yesterday, that didn't work. So I need to find a new set of words and rearrange them in just the right way. And then God's going to be like, you unlocked it. You got it. But that's not the way God works. That's the way we work as people. We want somebody to come to us and say the right kind of things, and then we're going to give them what, what, what we have that they want because they said the right thing to us. But that's not the way God works. He doesn't, he's not expecting us to give some secret combination, some, some password to, to get the prayer that we want. God's not, he's all about our heart. He's all about our heart. So when he says, don't, don't offer up all these many words that have no meaning behind them. You need to check your heart because prayer needs to be all about God and our pursuit of him, not about how best and quickly I can get what I want. It needs to be about him. And so then Jesus gives us an illustration, a demonstration of prayer. He says in verse 9, pray then like this, our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Now this prayer, we're going to march through it phrase by phrase. This prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer, um, is really, it's, it's more the disciples' prayer because he's kind of showing them how to do it. Uh, this prayer doesn't it isn't intended to be used as a form of, of you know, reciting to God as though this is the formula for perfect prayer, as though these are the secret words that, that will unlock 
you know, God's heart. Uh, this is, they can be quoted and they often should be. But he's saying this is to, to point us, this is a teaching to point us in the direction of what our prayer should look like. Like our Father, who, are, who is in heaven. Our Father. It's a recognition of who God is and who we are in relation to God. It, we recognize God is in heaven. God is our Father. We would not be here without our Father. But it's also an indication of who we are in him. We can't call him father if we're not his children. And a father treats his children different than other children. When his children come with a request, it's treated differently with, with other children because they're his children. And if the genuine need his children needs, the father's going to go out of his way to give the children what they need. Our father in heaven hallowed be your name. And I know y'all use that word all the time, right? Hallowed. Who's used that word this week in regular conversation? Anybody? Hallowed. I, I'd be like, I need to come hang out with you more. That's like really smart stuff. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Let your name be thought of as more holy. It's, that phrase, hallowed be your name, it's a depth of understanding of the greatness and perfection of God. It's a depth of understanding of, of the greatness and perfection of God. So right off the bat, in Jesus' demonstration of this prayer, this, illus this illustrative prayer is when we pray, we've got to pray as a foundation level understanding the greatness of God. Not just lobbing up everything that pops in our head, but we have to start from a place of God is so, so great and so, so holy and so, so perfect. And if we start from that place, it's going to re rearrange how we think about how we're praying. If we begin to really understand how perfect and great God is, then our prayers are instantly going to become a lot more humble in that moment when we begin to get even the slightest inkling of God's greatness. I mean, just put it in perspective. I, I've mentioned this in the past, but because God is so perfect, every single sin we do, every single one, has anybody in here only ever sinned one time in their entire life? Only once? Okay, good, because that would be your second when you're lying. Uh, if you've ever sinned, every one sin we've done is deserving of death. I mean, absolute eternal death. And that's the problem because, spoiler, humans can only die once. We sin a bunch, so we deserve to die a bunch, and we can't. So God sent Jesus, his son, himself, to come and die, not just to cover our one, two, ten billion sins, but the billions of sins of every single human being who's ever existed. And then he's still got greatness left over. That's how much greater God is than us. And, I mean, we can't even wrap our head around that. And so this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We have to start from this place of God is so great and God is so perfect. And that should redefine how we pray, how we communicate with him. He's, Jesus goes on, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think about that for a second. God, I pray that your kingdom would come to earth, your will would be done on earth with the same absoluteness 
that your will is done in heaven. Do you think in heaven anybody doesn't do God's will? No, it's heaven. God's will is absolutely done all the time. And so what this prayer is saying, okay, oh God, God, I pray that your will would be done in that same fashion in this world in my life, that my life and my experience on earth would be as fully and completely in your presence in your presence and intention as your will is in heaven. That all of my experience on this earth, my fulfilling what you would have for me to do would be the exact same as it is as everybody in heaven. That is quite a sentence. I mean, are you ready to try to live that out? I mean, we'll say all day long, God, I want your will done in my life, but do you really? I mean... I mean, God's will in your life may not be all that comfortable. You know, you may not be all that happy. You may not have any money. You may not have a whole lot of friends, you know. Uh, it, it, it may mean you have to change the way you vote. It may mean all kinds of stuff. If we're going to follow God's will, absolutely. So this prayer is trying to help us understand it's not about what I want at all. It's about what God wants. God, recalibrate my will so that it conforms to your will so that my life on this earth looks and mirrors what your kingdom is supposed to be. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my life, in my experience, just as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. I love, I love that Jesus put that, daily bread. Not weekly bread, not give us this day our annual bread, give us this day our monthly bread, give us this day our daily bread. The idea is we gotta come to Jesus every day to get bread. And he's not just talking like bread. You know, you, you go to the store and you get bread or, or like manna in the Old Testament. They, they would use the phrase bread to mean all of their food. And so he says, give us this day our daily bread. He's talking, give me everything I need for sustenance, everything I need for my physical life. But I don't think he's just talking physically here. I think he's talking spiritually too. Jesus, give me everything I need today to make it through today. Give me everything I need today to make it through today. And then we gotta come back tomorrow. Jesus, give me everything I need today to make it through today. Physical, yes, and spiritual. Jesus, I'm coming to you and acknowledging I can't do this on my own. I need you to accomplish this and get this done. So give me today everything that I need, my daily bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We've got to come to him and get everything we need for today because he knows what's coming today. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. I know the Cowboys aren't playing yet, so they're not going to lose today. But I, I don't know what else is coming. Give me this day our daily bread. I don't know. And so I need Jesus to provide what I need, even though I don't know what I need. And so we got to come to him. And, and the thing about this, though, is, again, I don't know how, how your lives work, but I know for me, one time a day is not enough. If you just ate one meal when you first wake up, you're going to get hungry about midday? You're going to be hungry about midday. You get hungry in the evening? Get hungry when you go to bed and you get a little snack before you go to bed? It's the same spiritually. In my life, I need Jesus all the time throughout the day, like moment by moment. Because the thing about 
<laughs> we're going to get to that in just a second. But we need Jesus constantly. One of the biggest tricks that the enemy will play on us is to convince us that we don't need Jesus as much as we do. He'll convince us we don't need him as much as we do. And so he'll distract us and say, you don't need to pray about that. You can just do this. You don't need to think about that. You can just do this. You don't have time to go and read your Bible. You don't have time to go and pray. You don't have time to tell this person about Jesus. You got to do this other stuff. You get to that later and put it off and put it off and put it off. And then it doesn't get done at all. And we begin to spiritually deteriorate, become spiritually emaciated so that we're unrecognizable. So we need to come to Jesus. Jesus, give me today, right now, moment by moment, my daily bread, everything I need right now. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I want you to jump down to verses 14 and 15. You see, Jesus, in saying this part in his prayer, he gives further explanation of what he means here in verses 14 and 15. He said, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Jesus wanted to give further explanation of verse 12, talking about forgiveness is foundational to our prayers. I mean, we're not able to speak to God if, if we haven't been forgiven by, by him because of Jesus' death and resurrection. The, 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 the relationship has, is, is, is still severed without Jesus fixing it through his death and resurrection and our belief in that. And so we need that forgiveness as, as a part of that. But then you say, yeah, but he's talking about forgiving people as well, being you know, directly linked to our forgiveness from God. Well, it is. It is. You see, giving forgiveness is proof that you have received forgiveness. That's a hard one sometimes for us to think about and accept. Because as human beings, we sometimes, maybe not you, maybe I'm the only depraved one in the room, sometimes we don't want to forgive. Like somebody has offended us or said something about us or our family members, and, and we just, we don't. Like Jesus, like you, you, this one, you just, I know they're saved. You take them to heaven now. Like, just get them out of the situation. <laughs> like, this is not good. They're, they're not helping this world. And we don't want to offer forgiveness sometimes. We won't say it out loud. We'll think it in the back of our mind. We won't say it out loud because it sounds unchristian. But if we have received any kind of forgiveness from Jesus, that's if you believe in him, then the proof is in us offering that forgiveness to somebody else. Especially somebody it's difficult to offer that forgiveness to. They're linked, they're tied together. The only way in reality as human beings we're able to offer any kind of forgiveness is if we have received it from Jesus. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be difficult. That's why he walks us through the process. How easy was it for him to forgive us? I guarantee you, you've sinned against him far more and deeper than anybody's ever sinned against you. Far more, if you want to pull out a scale and weigh this deal. But he forgave us anyway. And he continues to forgive us. That's what blows my mind. He forgives us knowing that we're still going to do the stuff that he already forgave us for. He knows what we're going to do tomorrow. And he already forgave what we're going to do tomorrow before we've even done it. 
Forgiving is proof that we have received that forgiveness. So go back up then to verse 13. Last phrase of this prayer from Jesus. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. That word deliver means rescue. Rescue us from evil. So guide us not in temptation. Guide us in the good way. But then when evil finds us, rescue us. Guide us in the good way. Keep us away from evil. But evil's still going to seek us out. Evil's still going to find us. When it does, Jesus, rescue us from that evil. Jesus is trying to help his followers understand in, in, in this prayer, understand what prayer is and how to do it. Prayer is meant to put God's priorities first. Always. Always. And he goes on in this chapter, and later on, once he gets beyond the prayer, he talks about seeking first the kingdom of heaven. It's about putting God's priorities first. True prayer is honesty. True prayer is transparency. True prayer is humility. True prayer is a conversation with Almighty God that comes out of a heart of complete dependence. Complete dependence. Now again, as humans, especially as Americans, those last two words are difficult for us. Complete dependence. Because we like to declare our independence. We had some guys in our history wrote a whole paper about it. Declaration of independence. We don't like to be dependent upon anybody. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me anything. I am me, and they need to get off. But prayer in our relationship with Jesus is the opposite. It is an understanding that we cannot operate in this world without him. We have to be completely dependent upon him, just like our need for, for daily bread, physically and spiritually. We need him in all aspects of our lives. It's a, it's a complete dependence on him. It's a mindset, a, a, a worldview. It's a realization that you cannot accomplish today at all without his direct intervention, without his direct provision without his direct direction we need his guidance we can try to go at our own for a while but we're going to end up running into a dead end every time and wonder why I damaged all my relationships it's because I depended on me and not Jesus why did I get where I am why is everything the way it is because we're not completely dependent on him that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. I mean, Paul is a demonstration of somebody who really tried to depend on Jesus at every juncture, at every point. And what happened to Paul? People tried to kill him everywhere he went. Ended up in jail. He was stoned to death once. So God raised him from the dead. How did his life end? As an old man gathered with all his children around him. No, he had his head cut off. But he lived a life completely dependent on the Father. And he walks into heaven hearing the words reverberate out the pearly gates. Well done, good and faithful servant. Complete dependence. So I need to depend on God as much as I depend on my lungs. 
I'm so dependent on my lungs, I don't even think about it anymore. It just happens. Not that I ever did. It just happens. And so I need to depend on God with that same level of, you know, intensity, with that same level of, uh, of dependence, with that same level of purpose. Same as the old hymn, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. A man named Robert Lowry wrote that in 1872, and it still resonates today. But look back at verse 13 one more time. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer, prayer itself, opens us up to opportunities through the Lord's guidance. But his guidance in our lives depends completely upon us depending on him. His guidance in our lives completely depends on us depending on him, on us listening to him. And that's why we're instructed to pray always from Ephesians chapter 6, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray always, pray in all circumstances, pray without ceasing because we need to depend on him. And that's the thing. The enemy, Satan, is, is constant and relentless in his efforts to steer us away from where God wants us to go. And so we also should be relentless in prayer to better hear where he wants us to go. Because if the enemy is constant and he's coming after us without fail, just relentless in his efforts to, to pull us away from where God would have us be, we need to be just as relentless in our pursuit of Jesus. Be relentless in prayer. And so think about your life right now. Is there anything over which you need to be relentless in prayer? Anything maybe in your life you've given up on or maybe you're praying and it's just by rote, by rote memory because you just pray about it. You don't even think about it. Your heart's not behind it. You know, you're not thinking about how great and powerful God is. Is there anything in your life right now over which you need to be relentless in prayer? And so that's the challenge this week, just next seven days. Will you be relentless in prayer? Maybe what you need to do is start setting alarms throughout the day to remind you to pray. I mean, we set alarms to, you know, wake us up. Maybe we need to set alarms to wake us up spiritually. We set alarms when it comes to cooking, to how long something's cooking, to remind us to pull it off the stove or pull it out of the oven. We need to remind ourselves to be relentless in prayer, to wake up spiritually and pray. So will you make that decision? Will you make the decision to pray? Pray in this way. Pray in the way Jesus demonstrated here with our minds completely set on the Father. Maybe what you need to do is pray this prayer as a, <laughs> as, you know, the, the foundation of how you pray to set your mind right in how you pray. The fundamentals of prayer. I kind of think of... Uh, like basketball, you know, I played basketball way back when. And after the off season, the first practices when we would come back, it would, all, it would be all about running, it would be all about layups, it would be all about passing. We wouldn't learn any plays yet because we need to be reminded of the fundamentals. We had to unlearn all the bad habits we had because we hadn't been practicing over the summer. Sometimes we got to do that with our prayer life. Get back to the fundamentals. Remind ourselves that it's all about God. So do you need to make that decision? Be all about God. Maybe you need to make another decision today. You need to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he came to earth and he died and he rose from the dead. 
to pay for all the wrong that you have ever done, all the wrong you will ever do. So then you could have the opportunity to go to heaven forever. That gospel is laid out for us in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said that's the way it was. Jesus came and he died for our sins, to pay for our sins. He said in accordance with the Scriptures, with the prophecies. He was buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Everybody has sinned and need Jesus to save us from our sins. Everybody sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every sin that we have sinned needs to be forgiven. And every sin we sin is falling short of the perfection of God. And because God is so perfect, like I said earlier, every imperfection, every sin deserves death. So then... In contrast to what many are taught today, what many are said, uh, say today, particularly on social media, heaven is not the default ending for everyone. Heaven is not the default ending for everyone on the planet. Some people think, well, God's just going to let everybody in heaven. Or that if you do more good stuff than bad stuff, you're going to get into heaven. But that's not the way it works. Our bad is always going to far outweigh our good because that's just what sin is. And so we need help. We need God to help us. And that's what God did in sending Jesus. God didn't want death and hell to be the end for anybody. God wanted life and and eternity and heaven to be the end for everybody. And so he provided a way out with a free gift. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of Jesus can change anyone's destination from death and hell to life and heaven. And he provides that way to heaven. He told us that in John 14. Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't get there in any other path. You can't get there by trying to do good stuff to get there. You can't get there by trying to believe in this other thing over here. You can only get there by believing in me. He said, I am the way. I'm the only way to heaven. There's no other way. No one else is powerful enough to get you to heaven, not even yourself. That's said in Acts chapter 4. There's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No one else can get you to heaven except Jesus. And the thing about that, you say, okay, i got to believe in Jesus, but how do I know that I know that I know that I really believe in Jesus. Like, how can I know for sure? Well, you can know for sure. John wrote about that in 1 John chapter 5. I write all these things to you, the gospel, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know, without a doubt, that you have eternal life. And eternal life only comes by faith. It cannot be earned by good deeds. It cannot be earned by good works. I had a conversation with somebody a couple weeks ago. They thought you could get to heaven by doing good stuff. By checking off a checklist that'll make God happy and he'll let you into heaven. But to get into heaven, you've got to believe in Jesus. It's not about doing good stuff. It's not about that. It's about having sins forgiven. You don't get time off for good behavior in eternity. You have to believe in Jesus. 
Paul said that in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. It's not a result of works. I mean, that's absolute what Paul's saying. It's not a result of works. You cannot, cannot do good to get into heaven. You have to believe in Jesus. Admit that you need Jesus. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to believe in him, believe in Jesus, and he will forgive us of our sins. So then we just got to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And we're told that repeatedly in Scripture. John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Matthew 11 Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and the one who desires to take the water without price. So we're invited by Jesus to come to him and believe. Believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died so all of our sins would be forgiven, rose so we can live after we die. And that decision is personal. It's a decision you make. I can't make it for you. Your parents can't make it for you. Your friends can't make it for you. No one can make it for you. It's a decision that you have to make to believe in Jesus. But that decision, even though it is personal, needs to be made public. It shows everyone of our commitment to Jesus. It's something that Jesus himself declared in Matthew chapter 10. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But everyone who denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. We say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And so if you're here in the room, you need to make a decision. If you're a believer, you need to make a decision to be relentless in prayer. But if you don't know Jesus, the decision you got to make today is to believe. To stop putting it off, to stop delaying it, to stop arguing with God, to, 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 to stop arguing with your family about the issue and just believe. Stop mentally just acknowledging it and believe in Jesus. You don't have to, somebody, it was like a month ago, somebody said, well, I just need to get my life right uh, before I come to Jesus. You know, I, I got to do this and, and, and my life's just not right right now and I don't feel like, you know, I can come to Jesus yet. And I told them, I said, that's not it. You don't got to get right to come to Jesus. He came to you knowing knowing that you're not right. Just come to him. Come to him. And he will take your heart and transform it. Will you believe in Jesus today? Wherever you find yourself. Will you believe in Jesus today?